everybody. I'm Thor Tolo, your host of Live from Seattle on 820 AM KGNW. It's time now for Attitudes of Sexual Integrity with your host, Russ Shaw. Russ? Thank you, Thor Tolo. I wanted to uh, share this with you. There's a new call-in line, a new voicemail line. If you want to leave a voicemail and be a caller to the ASI show, the phone number is 425-645-7942. Now, I understand a lot of you want to be discreet. I can understand that. So you can always email me at russ at digitalaudioproject.com. Went down to Seattle and got in the radio studio. That was the first time I've ever been in a real live radio studio. The other two times I was on the Thor show, I was on by phone. I was actually in my basement using my home phone to call the show. This time I was in studio. It was pretty cool. But uh, I wanted to thank Thor Tolo on AM820, the uh, live from Seattle. I was on there on uh, Friday night again for the third time talking about uh, ASI, the podcast show, and mainly wanted to talk about my series of shows called The Bomb Going Off, which I did get to cover some of that. Uh, Thor asked me a few questions and do maybe some email response to The Bomb Going Off series in this show. Talking about addictions, um, Thor was talking about trying to corner me a little bit on the whole addiction part of my attitude towards it. And uh, once an addict, always an addict, I disagree. And I felt like I didn't get to communicate that properly. Part of it is because I have a hard time thinking on my toes a little bit. I do this show and I get to think about stuff before I answer questions. And I get a question thrown out like that. And it's tough for me maybe sometimes to come up with a, a reflex response. I basically went into my analogy of the monster that used to loom over me when I was alone and it would drag me to the computer and it would drag me towards pornography at the time. It was those alone times when that thing would would come to me. Now it's more like a soccer ball and I just punt it aside. And he said, so you're still, you know, have those little temptations. And I said, well, what I wanted to break it down, we kind of switch subjects right after that, but I wanted to kind of break that down to the fact that the whole soccer ball analogy is built on the fact that these little images that pop into my mind, that's where it starts, folks. Those snowballs, it's a snowball when it starts out. And those snowballs are the images that you see in advertising, the women that you might see at work, maybe you work with a, a woman or a guy, ladies, who dresses real provocatively, stuff like that, is maybe teases you or in a certain way. And you start dwelling on those thoughts. You see a movie or something, and you start dwelling on those thoughts. And it's like a snowball that starts rolling down a hill. And by the time you, you're, like I talked about in the episode, the theater of your mind, when you let those thoughts into the theater of your mind, then they start to dwell. And then you start to think about what you know those images are doing. And then it drives you back to pornography or masturbation. I can eliminate those thoughts and kick them aside before they even enter my brain, before the snowball rolls down the hill and gets to be that big thing that's looming over the top of me. So I kind of wanted to express that. I didn't get to talk about it in the show. And with live radio, it's a lot different than my podcast show here. I have all the time I want. I don't have breaks that I'm up against and stuff like that. So I... uh I'm a little more easy. This is more my field. 
the show's not live. I edit it, and I can cut stuff out or move stuff around, and I'm not so good on my toes yet. I need to work on that. Thor talked about uh, personal responsibility. Sometimes we talk about addiction, and we bring up addiction, and calling it an addiction. Doesn't that take away some personal responsibility? No. The facts are that we have uh, chemicals running through our mind that makes this addiction very difficult to just stop, just to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. You can say that, and you can repent. Um, the repentance, the dictionary definition of a repentance is to experience sorrow for a sin with a desire to amend. And that is what we do when we feel that, oh man, what did I just do? I'm such a jerk, I'm such a sinner. But we turn back to it, we turn back to it over and over again. Reason why is because you have chemicals in your mind. And I'll go into that a little bit later. But the fact is that that is what makes it an addiction. Now, personal responsibility, the problem I have with some of the 12-step programs out there is calling the addiction a disease. I don't go down to 7-Eleven and pick up a six-pack of flu, all right? I don't go down there and pick up the six-pack of the cold. People don't do that. The addiction is the medication. It's what you do to anesthetic. You know, it's like what you do to medicate yourself. What kind of sin do you have underneath you? You're putting band-aids over a bleeding mass of pus that's down underneath the surface. You need to find out what that is, and that will help you clear up your addiction. But the problem is, your homeostats, uh, the book that by Dr. Gearhart, say goodbye to stubborn sin. This guy's a surgeon. He talks all about brain chemistry. This may be the most important book ever written about non-chemical behavioral type of addictions. And this is a big one, guys. You get that big burst of dopamine when you have that release, and then you crash. Your homeostatus is keeping this normal behavior. Now, your heart and your soul may disagree with this homeostatus. It hates it. It hates that your flesh wants to do this. But it's built into your brain chemistry. Your brain is saying, okay, this is what I do. I do this, and I have this release, and we go through this process. That is normal. Your homeostatus is something that is part of your brain chemistry. When you're sitting in a room, you're trying to clear your mind. Your mind is totally clear. You're praying. You're meditating. Whatever you're doing, you think that that's all you're thinking about. You have a subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind is checking the temperature. I'm cold now. I need to put a jacket on. I need to turn up the heat. These same brain chemicals, the same brain chemistry is working in your addictions, whatever they may be, whether it's sex addiction, whether it's shopping, I feel bad, I need to medicate. Breaking that is very tough. It, you, it, you can do it. I am living proof that you can do it. But it is not a disease. Your addiction is not a disease. That is covering your disease. Thor talked about, uh, I guess down in L.A., they have these big posters with a picture of Chris Farley on them, and it says, uh, it's not all his fault, and they're advertising some kind of a vitamin supplement that's supposed to fix your addictions, or I don't understand, you know, you have vitamins out there, you don't get FDA approval, and you can say just about anything, I guess. I find it very hard to believe you can take some kind of a nutritional supplement that's going to cure you of your addictions. That is uh, crazy talk. But 
They were talking about the uh, poster and the fact that Chris Farley uh, was a comedian in the 80s on Saturday Night Live. He was big in 90s. He did a bunch of movies. Uh, died of a heroin overdose. This guy had some kind of demons inside him. He was trying to kill his pain with anything he could put inside of his body. The problem was that uh, he had a bomb ticking. That's what that addiction is. That tick-tock is that behavior, repeating it over and over. It's that bomb ticking. Recognizing that and doing something about it is something that he did not do. Chris Farley's bomb went off, and he died. I'm sure Chris Farley never signed up to be a heroin addict, you know. I don't think he woke up one day and said, I think I want to be addicted to heroin. I think I want to do so much drugs and alcohol and party myself into an early grave. I don't think he said that. And people want to say, well, you know, that's what he gets. That's what you get for sin. True. But... They don't understand what might have been going on in his past that he was covering or something in his current relationships, something that happened in the past or some way he was brought up that made it so he could not be able to express himself to other folks or to get him to face his own demons or to face his own sinful behavior. He never got to understand his repentance and as behavioral creatures as instinctive creatures yes humans have instincts instead of instincts we call them drives Dr. Uh, Gearhart talked about this as well we have a sex drive we have a, a drive to eat you know animals have the same kind of drives we can overcome that stuff like Pavlov's dog. I don't know if you've heard that story. Pavlov, Ivan Pavlov was an early 1800s uh, psychologist type of guy studying the uh, behavioral patterns in dogs. And basically every day he would ring a bell and feed the dogs. Now he would do this for about three months and he found out that he could just get the dogs to salivate by ringing the bell. Not bringing food into the equation. Rings the bell, the dogs salivate. Why? Because they understand that they're going to get food soon, or bell means food. Our bells in life can be these behaviors that drive us back to the addiction. We need to change those behaviors. We need to recognize it. Never ever quit. Never give up. What is the snowball? What is the snowball for you? How is that snowball? When can you recognize those little bells going off before they roll down the hill and become that big thing that causes you to fail. That's part of getting you to understand the bomb, the bomb ticking, getting you to defuse that bomb. I think you're going to need counseling. I'm positive you're going to need counseling depending on how compulsive your behavior is because a professional psychologist, a professional counselor, a good professional counselor can get you to understand that stuff. Now, you really need to look around. I would even call churches and ask people who have been cured of this stuff or been free from pornography for a number of years and who they have talked to. I wouldn't just open up the phone book and, and get a counselor or a psychologist. I would really check around because there's a lot of them out there that just want to sit there and listen and say, uh-huh, yeah, whatever, yeah, right, uh-huh, write things on their pad of paper and collect a check every week. So, check them out. You need to have discernment. You need to understand the people that you're giving your money to. Because uh, unlike uh, in the medical field with uh, normal doctors that are disciplined for malpractice, 
these doctors you don't know. People don't talk about their addictions and their porn addictions. A lot of people just blame themselves when they don't get over it. And that is your personal responsibility. Nobody else is going to do this for you. You ever heard the joke, uh, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. <laughs> there is some truth in that. You really have to want to fix this stuff. And the psychologist can pull stuff out of you that you don't no normally understand that you can get out of you, that you don't even know exists that's there. And when you understand and you see some of that stuff, some of those behavioral patterns that happen right down from when we were children, breaking the habits in our brain chemistry, we can do that. Um, intimacy is about kind of about leaving and cleaving the Bible talks about you leave your parents and you cleave to your wife or your husband a lot of us are, are grow up in families where you know we, when we were kids we hurt you know we fall down we hurt our knee we cry and mom or dad comes and they comfort us or they give us a band-aid or usually mom you know gives us a hug and tells us it's going to be okay we're embarrassed you know and our parents see that and how they respond to our embarrassment or our frustration all that stuff we carry right on into our marriage and if we don't get the same response from our wife and sometimes we do, and that can be scary too. Sometimes we seek out those relationships that are like our parents, and that can't always be healthy. So understanding those emotional patterns, being able to just communicate what's going on in your heart with your wife. Look your wife in the eye. Look your husband in the eye. The eye, the Bible says, is the light of the body. Look into their eyes when you communicate. Like I've said before. You know, hold their hands, look into their eyes, and talk about how you feel in your heart. There's a different kind of communication that happens when you make eye contact with someone and you hold it. They might look down, say, honey, please, look in my eyes and understand my heart here. I never meant to hurt you. That kind of thing. Getting people to understand that stuff is critically important. And having enough grace to be able to forgive that person if they get angry with you, not withdrawing from them. When you share something out of your heart, when you make that eye contact and you share that stuff, don't withdraw whatever their reaction is. Keep working at it. Don't be rager. You know, you start exploding in rage or the person you are working on or you're working with or your wife explodes in rage. You know, that is another sin. It's another conditioned response. It's another bell. It's another bomb going off. You need to ask yourself why you have these attitudes. Why you have the attitudes that you have. Your attitudes towards things are so important. This whole ministry, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is all about attitude. We have attitude reflexes a lot of times in life, and we just respond with either a negative or a positive attitude. After, you know, we're trying to break these patterns, we're trying to break these, trying to get out of the rut, so to speak, in our own mind, and after a while we just get so discouraged with ourselves, we just, I can't do this, and we give up. That's an attitude. Don't ever take that attitude. That will cause you to fail every time. Try and break that attitude reflex of wanting to quit. Because I'm telling you, if you keep working on this stuff, you will get out of the rut. You have to break that brain chemistry. You have to make a new habit in your mind. The human mind is constantly 
checking things out. It's constantly doing the self-analyzation all the time. You're not even aware of it most of the time. You have a subconscious. It takes up big chunks of your mind. And it's always checking things out and making sure things are running properly and normally. When I went to my uh, interview with Thor Tolo, I wore a shirt that said, uh, Normal People Scare Me, and it had a little picture of this face of a clown. And I love that shirt, because what is normal? I mean, seriously, what is normal? It's whatever your brain is running, and whatever you think is normal. That's what's normal to you. And sometimes what's normal isn't always healthy. That's why I love the Lord. That's why I love Jesus Christ. That's why I'm a Christian. Is because I can look at the Bible and I can base my attitudes, my reactions, my behavior, my attitude reflexes, my personal responsibility, my emotional habits, and I can take that right to Scripture, right to the Bible, and check it to understand. You know, the Bible is kind of an instruction manual on your life. Not just your flesh, but your spirit. Your spiritual life is such a big part of you. Most people don't understand that. Most people don't have a spiritual life whatsoever. They have a teeny tiny bit that they bring into church on Sunday and they don't understand that that teeny tiny bit needs to be a lot bigger. It needs to be a lot bigger part of how we react to things. Remember, life is 20% the stuff that happens to you and 80% how you react. Stuff happens The world keeps turning. Life keeps going. There's pain. There's joy. There's fear. There's sorrow. There's happiness. There's all this stuff that how we react to it is what's going to change our whole world. Went to a dinner party, a friend of mine's birthday, and uh, Celia was there. Celia was on uh, episode uh, 18 and 19. Celia is James... Brooks' wife. Uh, he wrote the book Take a Bullet. She was talking about going to school and becoming a stenographer. She actually did that for a while. She was a courtroom reporter and learned how to run a, a stenograph machine. And she talked about how I thought this was fascinating because it's not a it's not a typewriter. It's a little box, and they sit there and they type. They're typing constantly, and basically, it's like a phonetic shorthand. And I guess no two stenographers have the same code, have the same way that they do what they do. They're just typing words, and they can type as fast as people can talk. They're boom, boom, boom. They're hitting these keys, and they're writing down everything people are saying at the time they say it. Do you understand how? much brain activity it takes to do something like that you start beating yourself up because you just can't stop doing pornography you know you you masturbate to it or whatever and you beat yourself up you're going to say well I'm never going to do this again I'm going to stop right now well guess what your mind doesn't know how to stop yet and like Celia with a stenographer being a stenographer learning that machine you're going to have to learn a new way of doing sex. Learn a new way of doing intimacy. And I'll tell you guys, it's healthier. There's a lot of new information out there that talks about how masturbation and looking at pornography is actually messing up with your sex life. It's making you less sexually potent. It's causing you to have premature ejaculations. You want to know why you guys, some of you guys want to come in the first three minutes most of the time? You can't control your stopping 
is because of the masturbation. You're you're actually teaching your body how to come very fast, and it's very unhealthy. You're teaching your body a different way of doing things that is not healthy for your marriage or relationship when you do get married. Ladies, they were talking about um, vibrators, and they're saying that uh, vibrators, using a vibrator, is actually damaging your pleasure centers. You can, your mind starts to get used to that vibrating thing, and you are not as easily stimulated by a normal sexual relationship with a man. It's very, very damaging. These images, guys, that we see, I mean, we are visual creatures. We get all this variety through using pornography and looking at other images out there in the world and thinking about that, saving it for our emotional masturbation theater later. It's damaging. It's damaging to our lives. It's damaging to our flesh, our minds. But it can be broken. That's why I talk about intimacy so much. That's why Dr. Block's book, Naked Intimacy, is so important. You have to understand that normal intimacy sex is so much better than this counterfeit crap that the devil tries to feed us and make us think is okay. Remember John 10.10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us life and give it to the fullest. That means your sex life as well. Face your addiction. You can stop. You can stop this stuff. You have to want to stop, first of all, and that's a big part of it. That's a big part of intimacy, getting that relationship right. Face your addiction. Start to communicate. Start to open your heart. It is so critically important that we do that. Get into new emotional habits. Break your attitude reflex. You can do that. Stop making excuses. Like I said in the last episode, you can make excuses or you can make results, but you can't make both. Let me tell you something about excuses. Here's the thing. You can use an excuse like, I'm not going to go to work today because I have a terrible sickness, I have the flu, I have a temperature of 104, and I'm not going to be able to make it into work today. Or you can say, you know what, it's nice outside. I live here in the Seattle area, and a nice day can be a rarity. And it's a good excuse to stay home from work. The problem is, in both two scenarios, the result is still the same. I did not show up for work. I'm not going to get a paycheck for that day. Unless, of course, you have sick leave or whatever it is. The facts are that the productivity in the company is down because somebody didn't show up for work. Whatever the excuse is. The excuse doesn't matter. The result is what matters. So we have to face these patterns, these emotional habits that we make. What is our bell ringing in the Pavlov's dog analogy? What is causing us to have this knee-jerk, kind of an attitude reaction? A great analogy to that is when something bad happens to you. Let's say something little bad happens to you and you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off. What's a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction? They start F you and F that and flipping people off. A lot of people do that. But the guy's still going down the road. Half the time he doesn't even see you. And what's the result? Nothing. You just went off. What did that solve? Nothing. Because the person's still going to do the same thing they've done. It's just hurting you. It's hurting us. 
when we have these knee-jerk reactions, we have to ask ourselves, why do I do that? Why do I flip that guy off? Why do I lay on my horn? Am I trying to teach him something? You think he's going to listen to you? You think he's going to see your middle finger or hear your horn and say, wow, I sure need to make a change? No, usually it just makes him more angry. That's why we have a lot of road rage, especially here in the United States. It's almost a daily occurrence in the newspapers around the country. If somebody freaks out on somebody in a road rage incident and ends up smashing their head in or shooting them or something like that, because we have these knee-jerk reactions, you're not really solving anything with freaking out on somebody. It's not making you feel better. It's making you more angry. You feel like you're venting a little bit. It's not good for you. It's raising your blood pressure. It's causing all sorts of negative kind of stress chemicals in your body. Stress kills more people, I think, than diet. I am... Uh, convinced of that. There's a lot of research done on Europe and, and Asia. Here in the United States, we have, you know, we try and eat right, and we all have these diet, you know, we all, of course we have fast food just like the rest of the world. But they were talking about how people in Europe, a lot of parts of Europe, uh, eat a very high-fat diet, you know, the sausage and the meat and animal fat, and they're eating gallons of that stuff. And they live longer than us in the United States. In Asia, here's a bunch of people who have a very high carbohydrate diet and a very high salt intake. These people are eating so much salt they should be having strokes before they're 60. But they outlive us Americans. Why? Because we're stressed out. Why are we stressed out? Because of the way we eat? Maybe part of it. Because of the way we live our lives, we're trying to make us enough money to keep up with the Joneses and all this stuff. This is all attitude stuff. This is all the stuff that's going on in your mind. You change your attitude and you change your world. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount. And these have been called by, uh, I'm not sure who came up with this, but the B attitudes. They are attitudes. Number one, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's is the kingdom of heaven. If you're broken, if you feel like crap about what you've done, if you feel horrible about your addiction, rejoice. Because you are taking an attitude of change. You're saying, you know what, this is wrong and I need to change this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We have stuff that we never mourned over. One of my big ones was the divorce that my mom and dad had when I was a kid. I never got to mourn about that. I never got to express the fact of how sad and how horrible I felt about it. Never let it out of my system. People tried to pull it out of me, but they didn't understand how why I was trying to hold on to it. I just tried to hold on to this thing and trying to control everything that was going on in my life. I never got to mourn how horrible this felt in my heart heart. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Once you mourn, once you get over that, once you face it, you start to understand. You start to understand some of your own knee-jerk reactions, some of your own emotional reflexes, attitude reflexes. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. What does meek mean? dictionary definition of meek here means of gentle and long-suffering disposition submissive or compliant humble being full of humility 
gentle, kind, compassionate. Compassion is an attitude, folks. What kind of an attitude are we taking towards our loved ones? Is it one of compassion? Or is it one of rage and anger? Have compassion on your wife. Have compassion on your kids. Have compassion on your husband. Are you for them or are you against them? You need to ask yourself these questions. These are attitudes we need to adopt. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, you're never going to be perfect. But as long as you start walking towards that light, towards Jesus in the in the cabin with the heater on, with the furnace going, with the fire going, as long as we keep walking towards that love, understanding how much He loves us, that's how we become righteous. We start to understand that stuff. We start to understand we're breaking the heart of God when we sin. We're breaking the heart of other people when we sin. We're breaking our own stuff down and God loves us just as much blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy like the guy in traffic you know what next time some guy cuss you off in traffic like that pray about it say this guy needs to get somewhere on time and hope he gets there on time or I pray that this person learns how to drive better something like that have mercy maybe your wife your husband doesn't know how to communicate Maybe they don't know how to share their heart. I didn't. You need to have mercy on them. Help them understand. Get into couples counseling. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart. Just trying to open up, trying to live from your heart, trying to be pure in your heart. Putting your heart on the surface. It's scary. It's scary to put your heart out there and might get injured. It might. Be pure in heart. It's an attitude. Becoming pure in heart is an attitude. Going back to that Napoleon Dynamite thing. Being comfortable in your own skin. Then you can do stuff like that. You can have more courage. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Making peace with other people. Getting other people to understand their faults. Getting other people to face their own emotional responses their own attitude reflexes and what is seeing that stuff and what's causing fights and maybe getting in there and getting people to understand why they are not at peace in their relationships it's breaking a habit breaking these attitude habits blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven if you're persecuted because you want to do the right thing, if your buddies make fun of you because you don't want to go to the strip joint, or ladies, the same thing, they start calling you Bible thumper or whatever they call you, you know, first of all, getting them to understand that's not who you are, and second of all, getting them to understand it's their behavior that you're frustrated with, not necessarily them as a person or them in their heart. But if you're persecuted over that stuff, if people don't want to be friends with you because of this stuff, or you might get in trouble on the job because of this stuff, Jesus says rejoice. It's the, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. That's part of an attitude too. And all these attitudes are not easy. They're part of that uphill battle. They're part of that going through the motions of breaking that habit. 
and you're going to take your whole life probably to adopt some of these attitude changes and I haven't adopted them all myself I'm still working on this stuff but all these little attitude changes can change your world they can change your life I have another movie analogy that I want to run past you and I want you to rent this movie if you haven't seen it it's the last movie that was made in the Star Wars uh, six movie series. It's actually episode three. There's six episodes in the Star Wars movie series. Episode three is about how Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. Remember how I talk about becoming the vampire? Becoming that sin when you just give up, when you lose faith? Faith that God loves you furiously, faith that God cares about you, faith that God's even there. When we get so far out in the cold, away from the cabin, that we don't see God, we don't know God's there, we don't even feel Him. When we're in that place, that's when we become Darth Vader. That's what happened to Anakin. You know what, what I realized coming up with this uh, analogy? Is that the whole series of Star Wars movies from 1 to episode 6 are all about one character who's in all those movies. Who is it? Anakin Skywalker. And Darth Vader. But in episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, we see him, he's hurt. You know, I didn't sign up to be sexually abused. I didn't sign up for my parents to go through a divorce when I was seven years old. I didn't sign up for this stuff. But how did I react to that stuff? You know, Anakin Skywalker didn't uh, sign up for his mom to be murdered. It was how he reacted to all that stuff that made him Darth Vader. It's the same with us, folks. How we react in our situations, in our... Uh, emotional responses how we react in our relationships with other people how do we react what kind of thoughts are running through our minds if you've seen the movie before see it again watch it and remember what I'm telling you here with these attitude reflexes with our personal responsibility with our emotional habits we have a personal responsibility to try and do the B attitudes as many of them as we can to break those habits that drive us towards being the vampire, the Darth Vader towards closing up emotionally remember Celia with being a stenographer she had to learn that, she had to build some patterns in her mind and we can all do that emotionally it's not going to be easy it's going to take time she had to go to school for a few years to learn that stuff it's going to take us maybe a few years to break some of our emotional patterns. I want to leave you with this. I wrote this for my wife for our anniversary. I'm going to publish it soon. I have it on the website. I added in maybe a contest. Who knows? Here it goes. The core, the heart of who we are. I pull mine inside so far. You expose yourself for who you really are. You've had a few hurts, and I saw the scar. You speak from your heart, out of your shell. I heard it, I saw you, and madly in love I fell. Your warm love pulled me out of my shell. Exposing my heart to you, I would tell. Protecting my heart 
Will you love who I am? I pull fast inside my shell and scar you again. I love you, I shout from up in my shell, hiding my heart you know too well. Our shells protect us and keep us from harm. You're shy at first, but real is your charm. For God made you real. You don't stay in your shell. I love you, Dana. You live it so well. For outside give you a warm I rarely expose. I know this is why I may cause you sorrows. So love, please remember, for me it's a fight. I'll keep battling myself to come out in the light. For here in my shell, I may be today. My heart you will see more of. I'll work and I'll pray. So when you see me, my shell hid away in the sand, please know I do love you. I may just need a hand. And that is me. That is my problems with intimacy. That is my stuff. That is me opening my heart and my soul and saying that sometimes I hide. I don't want folks to see my heart. I work on this stuff, folks. I'm still working on it. But I don't turn to pornography anymore. I have no desire to turn on the computer and use it to soothe me now none whatsoever but I have other things I fight one of it may be spending too much time on this show and working on this stuff I'm going to keep working on this show and me and my wife are going to keep communicating but I do not want to use this show to close up on her and I don't and I will fight to do everything I can to change my attitude reflexes. I still work on it. I still have those emotional habits that I am working on. Our marriage is so much better than it was when I was using pornography. I kind of fought this for a while, but me and my wife were talking about it, and she says, you know, I've only been married to the real Russ for two years, she said. My Darth Vader is dead. I want you folks to understand that. I want you to understand and try and make new emotional habits, new attitude reflexes. Keep working on that stuff. Hopefully I've helped you identify some more of the bomb, what that means, what that bomb-ticking analogy is. Go watch Revenge of the Sith. Sit down, watch it. Give me your response. Email me. Russ at digitalaudioproject.com You can also call the show now. I can actually have callers on the show. I know most people like to email. It keeps it a little more discreet. If you would like to call and leave a message to be played on the show or if you just want to leave a message for me, I don't have to play it on the show. Just specify that. I won't play whatever you... If you don't want me to play your message on the show, I won't. Just specify that. The phone number is 425 645 7942 that's in the United States of course I have a P.O. box now where you can send donations or send letters or whatever you'd like to do the P.O. box is Russ Shaw P.O. box 2526 Everett Washington 98213 0526 remember 
Ask God to show you how to live. Pray about it. Read the Beatitudes. Read Matthew 5. Read that whole chapter. There's some great stuff on judgment in there too. Jesus talking to the Pharisees and saying, alright, if you're not going to come through me, be perfect. <laughs> no one can be perfect. He was uh, trying to get through to the Pharisees that they're just as much as sinners as the people that they were condemning. So read that whole chapter of Matthew. Pray about it. Ask God to show you how to live. Ask Him to open that up to you. Open up your heart. He's your creator. He understands you. He knows you better than anybody else. Leave religion behind and build a relationship with your God, your creator. Don't worry about all these religious habits that you think that uh, you need to do. Remember, having a relationship with God, having faith, faith comes from inside of you and it flows out inside to outside. You can't shove religion down inside of you. You can't do all of these things and push them down inside of you and expect you to change. My pastor Rick finally got that through my head. When I understood that and how much God loved me, my world changed. My attitude changed. My emotional response changed. My knee-jerk reaction towards church people started changing. Flows out of you from the inside. So, we'll leave you with a song. Audio Slave, show me how to live. Here's somebody asking God to say, Hey, show me how to live. It's all in that book, man. It's all in the Bible. It's an instruction manual for life, I'm telling you. Thanks for listening. This is Russ. Until next week. <laughs>